Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. You're in the future, I'm in the past. No, it's the other way around, because you're an hour behind. I don't know what's going on. Hi! That's a terrifying song. (laughs) What kind of fucked up future horror country band are you writing for? I'm a little hungover. It might that might this have is been like, the dissonance if, of that song. <laughs> if if Brooks and Dunn were writing sci-fi songs, it would sound like that. <laughs> Brooks and Dunn, if you're listening, and we know you are. It's it's like Chris Christopherson tried to write the plot to the lake house in a song. <laughs> I still haven't seen the lake house. That's one of the movies you kept saying. Like it's actually pretty good. But if I've said it's pretty good, I was lying to you. I've never seen it. I just oh. know what the plot is. Oh, you know what the plot. <laughs> So you have no need to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I because I'm gonna see it in the future, and I've already told myself in the past in the what past. it was about. Yeah, oh, there, yeah. yeah. You are yeah. the yeah. That that was a that was a weird song. <laughs> Hi yeah. everyone, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> what that song was about is uh, we are doing our first remote recording session in quite some time, and Ken is in Utah, and I am in Iowa. So technically, I'm in the present, and he's in the future. Or, no, you know, I'm an hour. I'm an hour behind you. I it's three thirty for you. It's two thirty for me. I don't understand how how time works. <laughs> Non-linearly, usually. Yes. Yeah. It's has has been wobbly. my experience. It doesn't. Yeah. It's you know you think it's going to be a straight line from point A to point B, and then like point three point one four one five nine gets mixed in there, and and suddenly your straight line is a circle. I like circles. Circles are great. <laughs> Circle. The nice thing about circles is if you miss your turn, it's always going to come back. It's, it's like the roundabout you can't get out of. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's like driving around the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. You just, yeah. you, you, once, once you're there, you just accept the fact that this is the rest of your life and you never get to see home again. Is that what life is? That is one of the most depressing things I've ever heard. Yes. Life is just getting stuck on the roundabout at the Arc de Triomphe. You know, <laughs> and then you never are- leave. We are dropping some hot philosophy today here on Empire Classics. This, I think this has already been more wordplay than out, more intelligent wordplay than our average episode has. And we're only like three minutes in. Well done. Hangover soup me well. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's just where my head is. How's rehearsal going? Uh, rehearsal's going well. Uh, and the show's in a good place. And I'm happy to be up there playing some, some rock and roll tunes. Yeah, I'm going to be out there in like a week and a half. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, So if we have any listeners in the greater St. George, Utah metropolitan area, um, please come out to to Tuacon Theater uh, this summer and and come see Buddy Holly. Yeah. It'll be um, a good time. If you don't know where that is, then you probably don't live in that area. But it's about two hours from the Grand Canyon to give you some reference and about two hours from Vegas. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, it's about halfway between Vegas and the Grand Canyon. Yeah, so if if you're out that way, for the, I've actually seen a lot of my friends posting pictures in the Grand Canyon this summer. Like, huh. 
a lot of people have like been doing the the western like national parks treks this summer or this sure, sure, sure. i guess spring because it's technically still spring um and i'm like oh wow well i guess that's the thing so i'm going to be cool this year yay everyone's doing the desert vacation i mean it it it's a good vacation for uh post covid uh like re re reinserting yourself into society cuz like yeah. you get to go places and be around people but because you're in the desert you're you're never that close to people because <laughs> yeah. everyone's kind of spread out. It's so. I think Desert Vacation was a failed National Lampoon movie. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. It sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like a Chevy Chase movie that didn't happen for some reason. Chevy Chase in National Lampoon's Desert Vacation. Uh, I think that one's just. But him. it's a dry heat. Um, I think that one is just him. His family um, did not make Has it on this. Has abandoned him. They abandoned him, and the whole movie is his mirages as he tries to make it through the desert. Yeah. That would actually be pretty funny, probably. <laughs> so his so the actors who play his family are in it. They're just yes. playing hallucin they're not real. Yeah. They're hallucinas like hallucin hallucinations. Hallucinations. Although I like hallucinations. That was fun. <laughs> I love when you like go to say a word and you like go, that can't be a real word. And it is. There weren't there weren't <laughs> enough syllables in that word. I'm I, gonna make it longer. I'm gonna make it longer. Or <laughs> That happens sometimes when you like say a word over and over again, you know, like, like soup, soup, yeah. soup. What the fuck, soup? Like, well, who made that word? <laughs> it's a stupid word. It doesn't make any sense. What a dumb word. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think what happens in Desert Vacation is you spend the whole movie thinking that it's actually this really depressing thing where he's out wandering the desert alone and his family has left him because he's such a fucking nut job of a dude and he's hallucinating everything and like you think he's all brain fevery and it turns out that he just took peyote and he's like 10 steps outside the hotel (laughs) he never actually left the hotel they haven't even started the (laughs) vacation it's like they checked into this shitty like desert motel like and yeah yeah it's it's the it's the truck stop motel across the strip from like the mirage casino the mirage (laughs) yeah and he's (laughs) he he like he he bumped in one of the bus boys gave him some bad peyote and he's just tripping balls in the parking lot yeah he thought he bought some weed but really it was peyote (laughs) (laughs) isn't there an episode of there's an episode of the simpsons no it's the movie the Simpsons movie, Homer, I think, trips on some peyote. <laughs> is that when he meets a coyote yes. that's voiced by Johnny Cash? Yeah, I think that's the movie. I, I can't remember, but I have definitely seen that episode and or movie a couple times. And it's it's really funny. Like, you're yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> like, now I kind of want to try peyote, but now I kind of don't at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I well, have, If it was good enough for Jim Morrison. You know, because he turned out, oh, wait. (laughs) Too soon. Too soon. Hey, me, if it was good enough for the indigenous Americans, then I think. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Although it didn't, things didn't turn out great for them by and large either. No, but that's because white people suck, not because of the peyote. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, Jim Morrison drank himself to death because white people suck. Well, yes. So the theme of the story is do peyote and white people suck. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. If if you're going to do peyote, make sure you live somewhere where white people don't suck. Well, that's going to be tough, man. <laughs> um, Iceland. Gonna... 
okay, yeah, that's true. They seem to be pretty cool there. <laughs> they seem to be cool. <laughs> yep, and you know they're just up there in their little their little cold tundra, <laughs> cold igloos, cold igloos um, in Northern Lights. Hi, uh, where, what, where they what? where they need campfires. Speaking of campfires, welcome oh. to Campfire Classics. Oh my <laughs> gosh, <laughs> that one. was that was a good. That was actually pretty pretty good. <laughs> that was better than I many win. of mine. I win. Your, I love your, when I do it right. Your segue um, was delicious. <laughs> so uh, Campfire Classics, where apparently we try to come up with the plot to Chevy Chase's next big comeback. Um, but that's not the main thrust of this podcast. Our primary goal is to read short stories to you, dear listeners and campers. Short stories that we are reading cold, sight unseen for the first time as you listen. And sometimes things go horribly wrong. But Yay! usually but usually they go they go okay. We learn some new words. We learn some new, you know, penis jokes that we didn't realize <laughs> were penis jokes. And uh, everybody has a good time, except the authors who are usually dead. They are usually dead, and the reason they're usually dead is because we don't want to get sued. So we yeah. do we do stories in the public domain, which means they were written a long time ago. Yeah. For the most part, I have noticed. I have noticed it's 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 much harder to get sued by dead people than by living people. It is, but apparently it is possible because like people that have like estates. Yeah, it, yeah. You, you gotta be. You gotta be. Uh, Got to be a little, cre- little, little creative on certain things, but but um, this week I have selected a story for Heather to read for the first time live on the air. My well, turn. live, live to tape. Um, but yes. first, I'm going to read some fun facts and give you a little bit of background about this week's author. Who could it be? So this week we've got a story from 1959, but as is the case often when we read stories from pulp magazines, it's been allowed to fall into public domain early because of publishing loopholes. Mm -hmm. Uh, This week's author was born Henry Beam Piper, most likely. That is, (laughs) at least that's the name on his gravestone. There is a little bit of confusion, though, because he wrote under the name H. Beam Piper, and he told people that the initial H was for Horace, and he used that initial because he hated his name. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He also occasionally introduced himself as Herbert. All right. So he was quirky, Um, but probably Henry. Artist. He was an artist. He was quirky. He lived lived in the 50s and 60s. It was a weird time. Uh, he was he was born in uh, 1904. Oh, oh, yeah. So but, it was so turn it was of the a century. Weird time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he was almost entirely self-educated, and he was very proud of the fact that he acquired a substantial knowledge of history and science without ever going to university. Uh, in fact, he has a quote that I found kind of weird, saying that he educated himself. Quote. Without subjecting myself to the ridiculous misery of four years in the uncomfortable confines of a raccoon coat. What? <laughs> so obviously I looked that up, right? Yes. Apparently in the mid and late 1920s during, you know, the roaring 20s, the jazz boom, all of that. And the depression. <laughs> well, the depression happened just after. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the full length full-length fur raccoon coats became very popular, especially among young men in college. Okay. Like, like it pimp was a, coats. 
Yeah, it was, a, and it was like a frat symbol. In fact, there is even a song from 1928 called "Doing the Raccoon," and a chunk <laughs> of the lyrics, a chunk of the lyrics go: "From every college campus comes the cheer, oy yoy. The season for the raccoon coat is here, my boy. Rough guys, tough guys, men of dignity, join the raccoon coat fraternity." soon to do the raccoon um okay um do i get to hear that song <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna add a little clip of it uh right here from every college campus comes a cheer oy, oy. the season for the raccoon coat is here my boy rough guys tough guys men of dignity join the raccoon coat fraternity soon raccoon coats don't care who's wearing them <laughs> You know, except the raccoon that you killed and skinned. You know, that yeah, they well, they, they probably they probably do care. You know well, they don't I care bet, once they're a coat. I bet raccoons used to be really cute and, like, friendly, and then people started fucking making coats out of them, and that's why they're assholes now. Now they're just horrible. Yeah, that's, yeah. Why, that's why they're dicks now. It totally yep. makes sense. Like They, they were evolved probably, into assholes. They weren't always assholes. Their ancestors were like, these fucking white people keep skinning <laughs> us. These stupid white people. <laughs> and they're dancing around singing about our coats. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. We're going to steal your picnics and uh, and chew holes in your tents. <laughs> they just got really bitter because they're like, we were wearing raccoon coats before it was cool. And no one gave us credit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so that, that, that song was recorded by band leader George Olson and his music. His big band was called His Music. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> He's humble. Anyway, that's that's um, that's a, a little tangent that has very little to do with our author, except that apparently he didn't like those coats. Okay. Well, you yeah. know, I'm I'm kind of with him there, but I yeah. love that. Uh, so, Mr. Piper, um, Henry Horace Herbert Piper, uh, worked for years as a night watchman for the railroad in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Okay. And he wasn't first published until 1947 when he was 43 years old. There's hope uh, for me yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the story that got published at that time, time and time again, uh, was adapted into a radio program in 1951 and then readapted and reproduced as another program in 1956. So, like, right off the bat, his first story, people were going, oh, this guy's cool. I like this. All right. That's uh, overnight success moment. Love it. He, he was primarily a short story writer but he did have a brief but very productive run as a novelist um he he tended to write two types of stories either like sprawling stark space operas with titles like space vikings space vikings yep um or stories about cultural misunderstanding usually set in a paratime alternate timeline alternate history kind of setting yeah like what you have um, to do with when you want to get a message across that's why yeah, sci-fi yeah, yeah. is so good at it because you can talk about what's currently happening but you can just set it on a spaceship or something and all of a sudden or like in an alternate place and yeah well and so what he liked doing was was sort of um sort of what uh the man in the high castle does is he was telling stories but like what if this major historical event had happened differently differently 
in that that's case, cool. it was what would what would have happened? What would the world be like today if the Nazis had won yeah, World War Two? That's, that's man, man in the, in the high, high castle. castle. Yeah. But so he did um, a bunch of stuff like that, and in fact, his Tarot Human series is a future history chronicling 6,000 years of human history, starting with the creation of the first fission reactor in 1942. Okay. Um, so that's that kind of thing was sort of his jam. Okay, love that. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, his career slowed down in the early 60s. Uh, his agent failed to tell him about a couple of his novels that were picked up. Like, there was just miscommunication in there somewhere. Uh, he got a divorce, <laughs> um, which cost him a ton of money, and his depression led him to committing suicide. Um, his editor said that Piper had joked, although he later realized it wasn't a joke, uh, had said that Piper had joked that he might kill himself to deprive his ex-wife of the life insurance money. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. That's sad. So, because, yeah. <laughs> so, sad ending to this guy who was writing some really interesting stuff. Um, weird postscript about his writing. Uh, in 1999, so we're looking at um, like 30 years after, 35 years after his death. Uh, in 1999, his novel Lone Star Planet which he originally titled A Planet for Texans, won a Prometheus Hall of Fame award. It is a satire set in a world populated by Texans who wrangle dinosaur-sized cattle with tanks and live under a legal system in which assassinating politicians is considered justifiable homicide. Um... <laughs> Wow. I'm just envisioning giant moo-moos. I'm like, big yeah. cows, moo-moo cows. Yep, big cows, and the cowboys are riding tanks instead of horses. Um, And you can shoot, or not shoot, I guess you can kill politicians. Yep. Uh, I don't know how. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's this dude. Cool. Uh, I'm also going to throw out this fun fact because it was brought up, but I was reading about the other day. Um, the new uh, National Suicide Prevention Hotline number is now 988. 988. So if you know anyone or you yourself, they've, they've shortened it. So oh, that's great. That, so that people, it's kind of like 911, but it's right. 988. So um, since since suicide was brought up and uh, I, I want to spread that news because it's just start, it, it was just announced this week. So 988 if you or someone else needs help. So um, I'll just throw that in there since we lost our author like that. So yeah. And if that is a thing you're dealing with to, you know, to, to take a, um, to take a slightly somber tone for a bit, like, yes, please call 988 and, and, you know, talk to someone, but also know that, like, there are people here who love you. Yep. Um, you are not alone. We're all not alone. We're and, all going through this together. Yeah. And it's, yep. it's, uh, it's going to be okay. Just, yep. you just got to get through it. Yeah. And if your ex-wife wants your money, she's going to find a way to get it anyway. So. <laughs> Let's let's be real. So. Uh, anyway, uh, this week you will be reading a short story called "The Answer." The answer. I hope I get. Uh, I hope I get the answer. 
<laughs> Let's start this fire. Let's do it. The Answer by H. Beam Piper. For a moment, after the screen door snapped and wakened him, Lee Richardson sat breathless and motionless, his eyes still closed, trying desperately to cling to the dream and print it upon his conscience memory before it faded. I do Ooh, that I all the time. I know, I do too. I love that opening. That's such a like, it's like, damn it, I didn't want to wake up. That one was fun. Like, I want to like go back into it, get back yeah, into that I was, dream. I was having a really weird dream the other night about like the world slowly fading away into mist. And like, it wasn't fun, like fun, like happy, but it was fun, exciting and interesting. And yeah. I, as I woke up and I realized I was waking up and I was like, I was going like, no, 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 no. I have to remember the rules of this world. It's really interesting. I have to remember the, ah, oh, fuck, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, I know. I, I have so many dreams and I'm like, this would be an amazing movie if I could just like write it all down. Yep. Dreams. Okay. So this guy's holding on to his dreams. I like that opening. Alexis. Okay. It's a, a woman. Are you there, Lee? He heard Alexis Pitoffs. Pitoffs. Sounds good to Alexis me. Alexis Pitoff. Are you there, Lee? He heard Alexis Pitoff's voice. Sounds like a yes. Russian name to me. Yeah, yeah, it does. Very, very much Russian. I'm not going to do a dialect. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. Yes, I'm here. What time is it? He asked and then added, I fell asleep. I was dreaming. It was all right he was going to be able to remember. He could still see the slim woman with the graying blonde hair playing with the little Dushan among the new fallen leaves on the lawn. So he was dachshund. dreaming of a hot woman with a dachshund. What did I say? Dushan? You said Dushan. <laughs> dachshund. That's a different kind of dog, right? Ah. Bushan? Dushan? Bichon Freeze. Yeah, uh, whatever. Wiener dog. It was a wiener dog. <laughs> dog. So he's dreaming about a hot woman playing in playing the leaves with, with her wiener. <laughs> no wonder he wants to remember it. Uh, I'll try to stay in that dream. Yeah, get it. All right, for the little dachshund among the new fallen leaves on the lawn. He was glad they'd both been in the dream together. These dream glimpses were all he'd had for the last 15 years, and they were too precious to lose. He opened his eyes. The Russian was sitting just outside the light from the open door of the bungalow, lighting da. a cigarette. Da. Da. <laughs> yeah? Okay, now uh, now I'll give her a little bit of a dialect, but it'll be like a really <laughs> offensive Russian dialect, which, you know, seems right. <laughs> Great. Uh, now, in fairness, it's this, this is a Russian. Alexis could be a man's name. Oh, yeah, Alexis. Like, Alexei. Like, yeah. yeah. Well... It's a woman in my head until I hear about <laughs> until the opposite. Until we hear otherwise. Great. Yes. You say the Russian and I think of what's his name from chess. Yes, exactly. He's going to sing out. He's going to uh, wail out some. Uh, um, um, oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> it's the actor that played him. Josh, Josh Groban. You Josh Groban. Josh Groban. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was way too hard. <laughs> Get it together, Lawler. All right. So the Russian sitting outside his door lighting a cigarette. For a moment, he could see the blocky, high-cheeked face, now pouched and wrinkled. And then the flame went out, and there was only the red coal glowing in the darkness. He closed his eyes again, and the dream picture came back to him, 
the woman catching the little dog and raising her head as though to speak to him. Plenty of time yet, Pitoff was speaking German instead of Spanish. What? What? (laughs) Was he speaking Spanish before? (laughs) So this Russian speaks both German and Spanish, but it's being written in English. This is a linguistically confusing book. I'm confused. Pitoff was speaking German instead of Spanish, as they always did between themselves. They're still counting down from minus three hours. I just phoned the launching site for a Jeep. Eugenio's been here ever since dinner. They said he's running around like a cat looking for a place to have her first litter of kittens. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now we've got a Eugenio, so you get to do Italian, too. You, no, there will be no... <laughs> no that, that will be even more offensive, but um, it, I find it fitting because it's my friend Claudio's birthday today. Uh, he was one... He was the... Um, uh, uh, jo- uh, George... George... No. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Oh, my God! Names are hard. He was the You're Paul not McCartney. You're well with singers today, are you? No. He was the Paul McCartney on the ship uh, in the Beatles band, and it's his birthday. So he likes when I do my bad Italian. So Claudio, yes. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got a Eugenio. Let's do this. And, he, and Eugenio's running around like he's going to have kittens. Okay. He chuckled. This would have been something new for Eugenio Galvez, for which he could be thankful. I hope the generators don't develop any last-second bugs, he said. We'll only be a mile and a half away, and that'll be too close to 50 kilos of negamatter if the field collapses. It'll be all right, Pitoff assured him. The bugs have all been chased out years ago. Not out of those generators in the rocket. They're new. He fumbled in his coat pocket for his pipe and tobacco. I never thought I'd run another nuclear bomb test as long as I lived. Uh-oh, this is not good. <laughs> this is some Cold War shit. Yep. Lee! Pitoff was shocked. Shocked. He was he shopped. He was shopping. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. That's Lee. What you, when you're stressed, you need some retail therapy. Yes, you do. Lee! Pitoff was shocked. You mustn't call it that. It isn't that it, at all. It, it's purely a scientific experiment. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Justification. Yeah, and listen to what he says. Wasn't that what any of them were? <laughs> we made lots of experiment. We made lots of experiments like this back before 1969. <laughs> back before 1969. <laughs> it's a good. Uh, bearing in mind that this was written in yes. like in the late 50s. In the late 50s, so we are in the future. Hey, yeah, so- it ties back to my beginning. We are in the future and you are in the past. (laughs) I love when those coincidences happen. It's like, yeah, that was fun. It's like I told myself what the story was going to be in another reality. (laughs) Wow, we are inceptioning hard here. Okay. The memories of all those other tests, each ending in an Everest high mushroom column, rose in his mind. And the end result? The United States and the Soviet Union blasted into rubble. A whole Whoops. hemisphere pushed back into the dark ages. A quarter of a billion dead, including a slim woman with graying blonde hair and a little red Aww. dog and a girl from Odessa whom Alexis Pivot had been going to marry. So Alexis is definitely a man, I'm guessing, yep. unless it's a very progressive couple. 
Could be. Yeah. We don't know what the sci-fi 50s were like. We don't. Or the sci-fi 1969, I guess. The sci-fi 60s. Yeah. (laughs) 69. 69. Forgive me, Alexis. I just couldn't help remembering. I suppose it's this shot we're going to make tonight. It's so much like the other ones before. He hesitated slightly. Before the Auburn bomb. There. He'd come out and said it. In all the years they'd worked together at the Instituto Argentino de Cisna. <laughs> yep. And now I'm speaking Spanish. And that's cool. that's canon. That's what it's called now. You have to pronounce it that way every time you read that word. <laughs> it's so it's uh ciencia física. Physical Cien- science. Oh, the physical science. Okay. Okay. That the there love that. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. It's the Institute of Argentine the, the, the Argentina Institute of Physical Science. Of physical science. So in all the years they worked together at the Institute of Argentina of Physical Science, that had been unmentioned between them. The families of hanged cutthroats avoid mention of ropes and knives. Ooh, that yeah. <laughs> I guess if you blew up the world, you don't talk about it. (laughs) He thumbed the old-fashioned American lighter and held it to his pipe. Across the veranda in the darkness, he knew that Pivot was look. I keep giving this person a different name. Pitov. 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 He knew that Pitov was looking intently at him. You've been thinking about that lately, haven't you? The Russian asked, and then timidly, Was that what you were dreaming of? Oh, no, thank heaven. I think about it, too, always, I suppose. He seemed relieved now that it had been brought out into the open and could be discussed. You saw it fall, didn't you? That's right. From about 30 miles away, a little closer than will be to this shot tonight. I was in charge of the investigation at Auburn until we had New York and Washington and Detroit and Mobile and San Francisco to worry about. Then, what had happened to Auburn wasn't important anymore. We were trying to get evidence to lay before the United Nations. We kept at it for about 12 hours after the United Nations had ceased to exist. Oh, shit. This is a dark, this is a dark book. I could never understand that, Lee. I don't know what the truth is. I probably never shall. But I know that my government did not launch that missile. During the first days after yours began coming in, I talked to people who had been in the Kremlin at the time. One had been in the presence of Klensko himself when the news of your bombardment arrived. He said that Klensko was absolutely stunned. We always believed that your government decided upon a preventative surprise attack and picked on a town, Auburn, New York, that had been hit by one of our first retaliation missiles and claimed that it had been hit first he shook his head auburn was hit an hour before the first american missile was launched i know that to be a fact we could never understand why you launched just that one and no more until after ours began landing on you why you threw away the advantage of surprise and priority of the tech because we didn't do it lee (laughs) and now (laughs) apparently uh arnold schwarzenegger has arrived (laughs) great The Russian's voice trembled with earnestness. You believe me when I tell you that? Yes, I believe you. 
after all that happened and all that you and I and the people you worked with and the people I worked with and your government and mine have been guilty of, it would be a waste of breath for either of us to try and lie to the other about what happened 15 years ago. He drew slowly on his pipe. But who launched it then? It had to be launched by somebody. Don't you think I've been tormenting myself with that question for the last 15 years? Pitoff demanded. You know, there were people inside the Soviet Union, not many, and they kept themselves well hidden, who were dedicated to the overthrow of the Soviet regime. They or some of them might have thought that the devastation of both our countries, the obliteration of civilization in the Northern Hemisphere, would be a cheap price to pay for ending the rule of the Communist Party. Wow, this is still pretty uh, um, relevant. <laughs> yeah, feeling a little, uh, well, science fiction never stops yep. being important. Yep. Um, yeah. All right. Could they have built an ICBM with a thermonuclear warhead in secret, he asked? There, oh, no, that's right. There were also fanatical nationalist groups in Europe, both sides of the Iron Curtain, who might have thought our mutual destruction would be worth the risks involved. There was China and India. If your country or mine wiped each other out, they could go back to the old ways and the old traditions, or Japan or the Muslim states. In the end, they all went down along with us. But what criminal ever expects to fall? Hmm. We have too many suspects and the trail's too cold, Alexis. That rocket wouldn't have had... Oh, my God, stop. I keep getting notifications. That rocket uh, wouldn't yeah. have been... No. That rocket wouldn't have been... <laughs> rocket, 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 rocket. 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 Rocket, shake rocket, it, shake. Rocket, rocket and rolling. Rolling down to the beach where it's rolling. Okay. But the Russians launched nukes at my head. No. No, fun. they didn't. Russians. <laughs> stop stop it, it now. now. But really, though, stop it. Um, <laughs> that rocket would have had to have been launched anywhere in the Northern Hemisphere. For instance, our friends here in Argentina have been doing very well by themselves since El Casto del Norte went down. And there were the Australians picking themselves up bargains in real estate in the East Indies at gunpoint. And there were the Boers trekking north again in tanks instead of ox wagons. And Brazil, with a not-too-implausible pretender to the Brazilian throne, calling itself the Portuguese Empire and looking eastward. And to complete the picture, here where Professor Dr. Lee Richardson and Comrade Professor Alexei Petrov-Pitov getting ready to test a missile with a matter annihilation warhead. No. Yeah. So it could be anybody. Who is the bad guy here? We don't know. We don't don't know know who the bad people are. I'm guessing that is the answer. I, that is the probably question. the answer. I wonder if we're actually going to get it. <laughs> or is that it will never have the answer? Just don't have nuclear weapons. Yeah. No. This thing just wasn't a weapon. A jeep came around the corner, lighting the dark roadway between the bungalows. It's radio on and counting down. 22 minutes. 21.59. 58. 57. It came to a stop in front of their bungalow at exactly minus two hours, 21 minutes, 54 seconds. 
The driver called out in Spanish. Dr. Richardson, Dr. Pivot, are you ready? Yes, ready, we're coming. They both got on their feet, Richardson pulling himself up reluctantly. The older you get, the harder it is to leave a comfortable chair. Ain't that the yes, truth? Yes, it is. <laughs> Damn. Every time I stand up now, I go, ugh. Uh. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, wow. I have started making a conscious effort to not make sound when I sit down and stand up. So you don't get in the habit of doing it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, I, ju- I feel like it just it seems like an old person thing, and I just don't want to do that. There's totally no need to is. groan just to get out of a chair. But it... It hurts so bad. (laughs) He settled himself beside his colleague and former enemy, and the jeep started again, rolling between the buildings of the living quarter areas and onto the long, straight road across the pampas toward the distant blaze of electric lights. He wondered why he'd been thinking so much lately about the Auburn bomb. He'd questioned at times, indignantly, of course, whether Russia had launched it, but it wasn't until tonight, until he had heard what Pitoff had to say, that he seriously doubted it. Pitoff wouldn't lie about it, and Pitoff would have been in a position to know the truth if the missile had been launched from Russia. Then he stopped thinking about what was water or blood a long time over the dam. The special policeman at the entrance to the launching site reminded them that they were both smoking. Dude, you're smoking. Can't smoke. <laughs> Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. When they, Dangerous oh, chemicals yeah. and explosives. Yeah, yeah. Let's put oh, these yeah. out. Let's put the cigarettes out, I guess. The, when they extinguished, respectively, their cigarette and pipe, he waved the Jeep on and went back to his argument with a carload of tourists who wanted to get a good view of the launching. <laughs> there now, Lee. Do you need anything else to convince you that it isn't a weapons project? Pitoff asked. No, now that you mention it, I don't. You know, I don't believe I've had to show an identity card the whole time I've been here. I don't believe I have an identity card, Pitoff said. Think of that. The lights blazed everywhere around them, but mostly about the rocket that towered above everything else, so thick that it seemed squat. (laughs) It's a big old thick rocket, eh? Yep. (laughs) It's a thick, juicy rocket. It's chode rocket. Chode rocket. <laughs> it's a chock it. Ooh, a chock it. Chock it, choke it. <laughs> you might choke on it. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> the gantry cranes had been hauled away now, and it stood alone, but it was still wreathing in thick electrical cables. They were pouring enough current into that thing to light half the streetlights in Buenos Aires. So what's new, Buenos Aires, is you're about to have a bomb dropped on you, apparently. Okay. Yep. Uh, They were pouring enough current into that thing to light half the streets of Buenos Aires when the cables were blown free by separation charges at the blast-off. The generators powered by the rocket engines had better be able to take over because if the magnetic field collapsed and that 50-kilo chunk of negative proton matter came into contact with natural positive proton matter, an old-fashioned H-bomb would be a firecracker to what would happen. Just 100 kilos of pure 200-proof MC2. Well, that sounds bad. Yeah, so you don't want that to explode in front of you. Nope. The driver took them around the rocket, dodging assorted trucks and mobile machinery that had been hurried out of the way. 
The countdown was just beyond two hours, five minutes. The Jeep stopped at the edge of the crowd around three more trucks, and Dr. Eugenio Galvez, the director of the Institute, left the crowd and approached at an awkward half run as they got down. So Eugenio is probably Argentinian, not Italian. Yeah. Is everything checked in, gentlemen? He wanted to know. It was this afternoon... It was this afternoon at 17.30, Pitoff told him, and nobody's been burning my telephone to report anything different. Are the balloons and the drone planes ready? The Air Force was just fin... The Air Force just finished checking in. They're ready. Captain Urquila... Urquila? Yeah, let's go with that. Urquiola. Captain Urquiola. <laughs> Captain Ariola. <laughs> Captain Ariola. <laughs> All of a sudden, he doesn't seem so official. (laughs) Captain Urquiola flew one of the planes over the course and made a guidance tape. That's been duplicated, and all the planes are equipped with copies. How's the wind, Richardson asked. Still steady. We won't have any trouble about fallout or with the balloons. Then we'd better go back to the bunker and make sure everyone there is on the job. The loudspeaker was counting down. Two hours, one minute. Could you spare a few minutes to talk to the press, Eugenio Galvez asked, and perhaps say a few words for the telecast? This last is most important. We can't explain too many times the purpose of this experiment. There is still much hostility arising from fear that we are testing a nuclear weapon. It's not a nuclear weapon. It's an antimatter weapon. Yeah, even scarier. I've seen... Oh, you haven't seen it. I, Angels and Demons. That's like... That is the premise. I watched it... I watched it on the plane ride here. You watched it? Yep. Oh, you didn't even tell me. It's good, right? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it, I, I watched it on the plane ride here and then, like, promptly fell asleep. But, yes, I did see it. Yeah, fucking Ewan McGregor's a twat bag in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, spoilers. Uh, but, yeah, it's an antimatter weapon. Yeah, but, antimatter yeah. explosion, yeah. Antimatter. Whew. No, yeah, this is... Ugh. The press and telecast services were well represented. There were close to 100 correspondents from all over South America, from South Africa and Australia, even one from Ceylon. (laughs) That apparently is a country that Um, is only in this world. uh, So uh, point of interest, uh, Ceylon or Ceylon, I'm not pronounced if it, I'm not sure if it's a hard C or a soft C. Okay. uh, Is the name that Sri Lanka used to be known as. Oh, cool. All right. So, so it's, it's not a like, fictional country. It is just a country that doesn't exist anymore. Like, well, it's, it it's a country that, that goes by a different, a different name now. Yeah, I'm guessing yeah. a fall of government or like yeah. re- repurposing border lines or something. Yep. They had three trucks with mobile. With mobile. <laughs> that, now, I did say mobile during this episode. <laughs> yeah. Mobile um, Alabama. But this is, but this is mobile. They had three trucks with mobile telecast pickups, and when they saw who was approaching, they released the two rocketry experts. Rocketry. They had three trucks with mobile telecast pickups, and when they saw who was approaching, they released the two rocketry experts that had been quizzing and pounced on the new victims. (laughs) Rocketry experts. So they released the rocketry experts that they had been quizzing and pounced on the new victims. Yep. Was there any possibility that negative proton matter might have been used as a weapon? Anything can be used as a weapon. You could stab a man to death with that lead pencil you're using, Pitoff replied. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a Russian response. 
but I doubt if negamatter will ever be so used. They're certainly not working on a weapon designed here. We started six years ago with the ability to produce negative protons, reverse spin neutrons, and positrons, and the theoretical possibility of assembling them into negamatter. We have just gotten a 50 kilogram mass of nega iron assembled. In those six years, we had to invent all our techniques and design all our equipment. If we'd been insane enough to want to build a nuclear weapon after what we went through up north, we could have done so from memory and designed a better, which is to say a worse one from memory in the few days. <laughs> it's right. like if we wanted to build a weapon, we could have made a fucking killer one. We'd, we'd have built a weapon. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, and building a negamatter bomb for military purpose would be like digging a 50-foot shaft. (laughs) (laughs) I am a child. Yes, and building a negamatter bomb for military purposes would be like digging a 50-foot shaft to get a rock to bash somebody's head in when you could do the job better with the shovel you're digging it with. (laughs) (laughs) These guys have funny sense of humor. I like that. The time, money, energy, and work we put into this thing would be ample to construct 20 thermonuclear bombs, and that's only a small part of it. He went on to tell them about the magnetic bottle inside the rocket's warhead, mentioning how much electric current was needed to keep up the magnetic field that insulated the negamatter from contact with the posimatter. That's fucking angels and demons! That's, that's exactly what the whole thing's about, yeah. Holy shit! I bet uh, Dan Brown read this story at some point. Well, there is also like that's that there's there's a lot of real science here. Oh yeah, no, that is absolutely real science. It's just like this was written in the fifties. Yeah. So like this was like this is very uh, ahead of its time in like that knowledge. He he did his he did his research like clearly he got some good studying in even though he didn't have a raccoon coat. Yeah, even though he didn't have a raccoon coat. Then what was the purpose of the experiment, Dr. Richardson? Oh, well, we're just trying to find out a few basic facts about natural structure. Long ago, it was realized that the nucleonic particles, protons, neutrons, mesons, and so on, must have structure of their own. Since we started constructing negative proton matter, we found out a few things about nucleonic structure. Some rather odd things, including fractions of Planck's constant... A couple of correspondents, a man from La Presna and an Australian, whistled softly. The others looked blank. Pitoff took over. You see, gentlemen, they're like, uh, what'd you say? What? what? Say that again? <laughs> I don't understand. Could you put that in <laughs> Captain Dummy Talk? Yeah. Can, you, can we have the, uh, the uh, nuclear uh, atomic physics for dummies edition, please? Thank yeah. you. You see, gentlemen, most of the... Most of what we learned, we learned from putting negamatter atoms together. We annihilated a few of them. Over there in that little concrete building, we have one of the most massive steel vaults in the world where we do that. But we assembled millions of them for every one we annihilated. And that chunk of nega iron inside the magnetic bottle kept growing. And when you have a piece of negamatter you don't want, you can't just throw it out on the scrap pile... We might have rocketed it into escape velocity and let it blow up in space, away from the moon or any other artificial satellites, but why waste it? So we're going to have the rocket eject it, and when it falls, we can see, by our telemetered instructions, 
just what happens. Okay. So this is basically when Ewan McGregor takes the the helicopter up and yep. shoots like I mean this is like fuck I'm I feel like I'm I'm reading <laughs> the Dan Brown novel right now. Well, won't it be annihilated by contact with atmosphere? Somebody asked. That's one of the things we want to find out, Pitoff said. We estimate about 20% lost from contact with atmosphere, but the mass that actually lands on the target area should be about 40 kilos. It should be something of a spectacle coming down. It'll be that. It's going to be something. You said you had to assemble it after creating the negative protons and neutrons and the positrons. Doesn't any of this sort of matter exist in nature? The man who asked that knew better himself. He just wanted the answer on the record. <laughs> oh, no, not on this planet and probably not in the galaxy. There may have been whole galaxies composed of nothing but negative matter. There may even be isolated stars and planetary systems inside our galaxy composed of negamatter, though I think that very improbable. But when negamatter and posamatter come into contact with one another, the result is immediate mutual annihilation. They managed to get away from the press and returned as far as the bunkers, a mile and a half away. Before they went inside, Richardson glanced up at the sky, fixing the location of a few of the more conspicuous stars in his mind. There were almost a hundred men and women inside each at his or her instruments. View screens, radar indicators, detection instruments of a dozen kinds. The reporters and telecast people arrived shortly afterward, and Eugenio Galvez took them in tow. While Richardson and Pitoff were making their last-minute rounds, the countdown progressed past minus one hour, and at minus 20 minutes, all the overhead lights went off and the small instrument operator's lights came on. Pitoff turned on a couple of view screens, one from a pickup on the roof of the bunker and another from the launching pad. They sat down side by side and waited. Richardson got his pipe out and began loading it. The loudspeaker was saying, Minus two minutes, 159, 58, 57. He let his mind drift away from the test, back to the world that had been smashed around his ears in the autumn of 1969. He was doing that so often now, when he should be thinking about two seconds, one second, firing. It was a second later that his eyes focused on the left-hand view screen. Red and yellow flames were gushing out the bottom of the rocket, and it was beginning to tremble. Then the upper jets, the ones that furnished power to the generators, began firing. He looked anxiously at the meters. The generators were building up power. Finally, when he was sure that the rocket would be blasting off anyhow, the separator charges fired and the heavy cables fell away. An instant later, the big missile started inching upward, gaining speed by the second, first slowly and jerkingly, and then more rapidly, until it passed out of the field of the pickup. He watched the rising spout of fire from the other screen until it passed from sight. By that time, Pitoff had twisted a dial and gotten another view on the left-hand screen, this time from close to the target. That camera was radar-controlled. It had fastened upon the approaching missile, which was still invisible. The stars swung slowly across the screen until Richardson recognized the ones he had spotted on the zenith. In a moment, now, the rocket, a hundred miles overhead, would be nosing down, 
And then the warhead would open and the magnetic field inside would alter and the mass of negamatter would be ejected. The stars were blotted out of a sudden glow of light. Even at 100 miles, there was enough atmospheric density to produce considerable energy release. Pitoff, beside him, was muttering, partly in German and partly in Russian, most so very angry languages. Most yep. of what Richardson caught was figures. Trying to calculate how much of the mass of unnatural iron would get down for the ground blast. Then the right-hand screen broke into a wriggling orgy of color. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh love my a good God. wriggling orgy. I love a wriggling orgy. <laughs> With antimatter, a wriggling orgy of antimatter. Yippee! <laughs> Hello, welcome to the antimatter orgy. Please wriggle your way into your favorite color. <laughs> Orange! <laughs> and at the same time, every scrap of radio transmitted apparatus either went out or began reporting erratically. The left hand screen, connected by wiring to the pickup of the roof, was still functioning. For a moment, Richardson wondered what was going on, and then shocked recognition drove that from his mind as he stared at the ever-brightening glare in the sky. It was the Auburn bomb again. He was back in memory to the night on the shore of Lake Ontario, the party breaking up in the early hours of morning, he and Janet and the people with whom they had been spending a vacation week standing on a lawn as guests were getting into their cars. And then the sudden light in the sky, the cries of surprise, and then of alarms as it seemed to be rushing straight down upon them. He and Janet clutching each other and staring up in terror at the falling blaze from which there seemed no escape. Then relief as it curved away from them and fell to the south. And then the explosion, lighting the whole southern sky. There was a similar explosion in the screen when the mass of nega iron landed. A sheet of pure white light, so bright and so quick as to almost pass above the limit of visibility. And then, a moment's darkness that was in his stunned eyes more than in the screen. And then the rising glow of updrawn incandescent dust. That's intense. Before the sound waves had reached them, he had been legging it into the house. Legging it? Running. <laughs> running? <Yeah. laughs> what a weird way to say running. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm legging. legging it. I'm not going to say I'm going running anymore if I'm going for a run. I'm going to be like, I'm going to go leg it. <laughs> yeah. I'm also a fan of uh, time to beat cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> time to beat cheeks? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Because when, when you're running, your butt cheeks beat together. <laughs> time to make my ass applaud. <laughs> Yippee. What you I doing, think that's just your claps. butt because your butt is so glorious and my butt <laughs> doesn't do that. <laughs> yes, you have a glorious ass. Before the, sound waves, <laughs> before the sound waves had reached them, he had been legging it into the house. The television had been on and it had been acting as insanely as the screen on his right now. He had... He had called the state police, the telephones had been working all night, and told them who he was, and they had told him to stay put and they'd send a car for him. They did, within minutes. Oh, this is back. Sorry. We're, he's, we're... he's bouncing back and forth. He's doing comparisons between the yes. Auburn bomb and the current yes. situation. Yeah. Yes. 
They did within minutes. Janet and his host and hostess had waited with him on the lawn until it came, and after he had gotten into it, he had turned around and looked back through the rear window and seen Janet standing under the front light, holding the little dog in her arms, flopping one of his silly little paws up and down with her hand to wave goodbye to him. Aww. Aww, little puppy going like this. <laughs> He had seen her and the dog like that every day of his life for the last 15 years. What kind of radiation are you getting? He could hear Alex Pitoff asking into the phone. What? Nothing else? Oh, yes, of course, but mostly cosmetic. That shouldn't last long. He turned from the... Cosmic. Oh, yeah. Cosmetic. (laughs) It's not makeup radiation. It's star radiation. Oh, but I want some makeup radiation. I'll make my face so pretty. (laughs) Uh, But mostly cosmic. That shouldn't last long. He turned from the phone. A devil's own dose of cosmic and some gamma. It was the cosmic radiation that put the radios and telescreens out. That's why I insisted that the drone planes be independent of radio control. They always got cosmic radiation from the micro-annihilations in the test vault. Okay, They always... (laughs) My my brain is being warped uh, as as this you, antimatter happens. <laughs> your 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 brain is getting beat up, and it's sounding more and more like your tongue is hungover. My tongue is is tired. <laughs> <laughs> they always got cosmic radiation from the micro annihilations in the test fault. Well, now they had an idea of what produced natural cosmic rays. They must be quite a bit. There must be quite a bit of negamatter and posimatter going into mutual annihilation and total energy release through the universe. Of course, there were no detectors set up in advance around Auburn, he said. We didn't really begin to find anything out for a half an hour. By that time, the cosmic radiation was over and we weren't getting anything but gamma. What? What has Auburn got to do? The Russian stopped short. You think this is the same thing? He gave it a moment's consideration. Lee, you're crazy. There wasn't an atom of artificial negamatter in the world in 1969. Nobody had made any before us. We gave each other some scientific surprises then, but nobody surprised both of us. You and I, between us, knew everything that was going on in nuclear physics in the world. And you know as well as I do. A voice came out of the public address speaker. Some of the radio equipment around the target area that wasn't knocked out by blast is beginning to function again. There is an increasingly heavy gamma radiation, but no more cosmic rays. They were all prompt radiation from the annihilation. The gamma is secondary effect. Wait a moment. Captain Ur- Ur- Ariola, <laughs> Captain Urquiola of the Air Force says that the first drone plane is about to take off. It had been two hours after the blast that the first drones had gone over what had been Auburn, New York. He was trying to remember, as exactly as possible, what had been learned from them. Gamma radiation, a great deal of gamma, but it didn't last long. It had been almost down to a safe level by the time the investigation had been called off, and two months after there had been no more missiles and no way of producing more and no targets to send them against even if they'd had them, rather, he had been back at Auburn on his hopeless quest, and there had been almost no trace of radiation. 
nothing but a wide, shallow crater, almost 200 feet in diameter, and only 15 at its deepest, already full of water, and a circle of flattened and scattered rubble for a mile and a half all around it. He was willing to bet anything that this was what they'd find where the chunk of nega iron had landed 50 miles away from Pampas. Well, the first drone ought to be over the target area before long, and at least one of the balloons that had been sent up about reporting its course by radio. The radios and the others were silent, and the recording counters had probably jammed in all of them. There'd be something of interest when the first drone came back. He dragged his mind back to the present and went to work with Alexis Pitoff. They were at it all night, hot. <laughs> <laughs> They were at it all night. (laughs) Give me those gamma rays, baby. (laughs) They were at it all night, checking, evaluating, making sure that the masses of data that were coming in were being promptly processed for programming the computers. At each of the increasingly frequent coffee breaks, he noticed Pitoff looking curiously. He said nothing, however, until long after dawn, they stood outside the bunker, waiting for the jeep that would take them back to their bungalow and watching the line of trucks, Argentine army engineers, locally hired laborers, load after load of prefab huts and equipment going down toward the target area where they would be working for the next week. That's a long time to go down to the target area. Yeah. (laughs) A whole week? They were going at it for multiple nights then. Yeah. Lee, were you serious? Pitoff asked. I mean, about this being like the one at Auburn. It was exactly like Auburn. Even the blazing light that came rushing down out of the sky. I wondered about that at the time. What kind of missile would produce an effect like that? Now I know. We just launched one like it. But that's impossible. I told you, between us we know everything that has happened in nuclear physics then. Nothing in the, nobody in the world knew how to assemble atoms of negamatter and build them into masses. Nobody and nothing on this planet built that mass of negamatter. I doubt if it even came from this galaxy. But we didn't know that then. Oh, shit! <laughs> Plot twist. Plot twist! It was aliens! When the negamatter meteor fell, the only thing anybody could think of was that it had been a Soviet missile. If it had hit around Leningrad or Moscow or Kharkov, who would you have blamed it on? The end. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. So it was like, I I was like, it's aliens, but no, it's, uh, uh, it was just a meteor. Either, yeah, either a, a random natural occurring meteor strike or an alien attack designed to look like a random natural occurring meteor strike. So it w- we did get the answer. We totally we got the, the answer. answer. In the last sentence. In the last sentence, we totally got the answer. And it was neither of them. And f- yep. because humans suck, that happened and people immediately started fucking like shooting at each other instead of like, you know, investigating what actually happened. Yeah. Well, hey, it's kind of that- like it's kind of like when 9-11 happened and everyone's like, yeah, let's attack uh, this country that had nothing to fucking do with yeah. it. Um, well, but that's that's also um, it's it's the danger of allowing tensions to just continue to exist and boil and exist and boil and exist and boil. Because if you're always living in that place of tension, then it's not going to take much 
to um to send you over the edge and decide to blame whoever blame. the person on the other side of that tension is. Yeah. Yeah. So basically uh say say you're sorry and be better um so there's no more tensions. Yeah. <laughs> In a uh, in a weird way, this one actually, uh, the story was, well, the bulk of the story was very different, but then by the end, it was actually very similar. Uh, yeah. This one reminded me a lot of The Star. Yes. That H.G. Yeah. Wells story we read way in the beginning. Yeah, which was so good. But yeah, no, like, if I, I mean, you'll edit out a lot of my mishaps, but like, if, <laughs> I, if I've been able to read it clear, when I'd have good, when I'd have good uh, long sentence structure in my mouth, um, it, it's very, it drives like really fast. Like, yeah, it's like, this is happening and this is happening and oh my God, what happened? And this happened and this happened. Then we go back in time and then we come forward. It's very like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Like, so very you're tense. saying, so you're saying things get better when you have something long in your mouth. Yes. <laughs> Especially on this podcast. <laughs> A 50 foot, 50 foot shaft, baby. <laughs> what was the chode what was the what was the, <laughs> the chode uh, well thing? we're we're gonna we're gonna get to that because that's gonna be this week's secret passcode oh good 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 yeah. good yeah yeah <laughs> Um, you hear that, so folks? speaking of, um, uh, well, thank you, listener. I hoped you enjoyed that story all about fifty-foot um, shafts uh, <laughs> and annihilation. And and yeah, you know, human annihilation. Well, you you would be annihilated by a fifty-foot shaft. Anyone would be. That's so. yeah. That's probably true. <laughs> that's probably true. It's like a um, dinosaur shaft. <laughs> <laughs> Dinosaur cattle shaft. Dinosaur be, cattle shaft. Ha, has to be has to be taken control of by a Texan in a tank. Full circle. See? Circles. Yep. We like uh, circles. Anyway, um, I hope you enjoyed this episode, dear, dear, sweet listener. Dear um, lovers. Let us know what you thought about it. Uh, shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Shoot us an hey, email. Hey, I'm back on Twitter now, y'all. I'm Hooray. I'm like re- I'm reconnecting with all our awesome like po- like fellow podcasters um awesome. they were like where have you been like i'm like i've been on a boat with no internet but she's back <laughs> so. um yeah i tried and failed miserably to stay it's, in contact with people it's it's hard i just kind of do it in the morning and then i do it at night when i'm <laughs> good well no it's it's good to have a twice a day routine it just it keeps you you know keeps you regular keeps you focused keeps, yeah yeah it keeps 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 too much backup from happening, you know. Yeah, you I don't make know sure if I was talking about masturbation or pooping at that point. I, <laughs> I do yeah. it in the morning and I do it at night. <laughs> Either way, it's it's good to make sure it's happening twice a day because you keep you keep a backup from happening. Just gotta keep it going. <laughs> um. Anyway, let us know what you thought of the episode. Particularly, let us know what you thought of the episode up until that moment that we just had. Um. <laughs> Um, please like and follow, subscribe. Please leave a review. Um, really, any review helps our visibility, but obviously we prefer, you know, positive reviews, um, especially if you're a fan of masturbation poop jokes. Um, <laughs> and when you shoot us a message, please include, or possibly even in the review, if you leave us a review, please include this week's, uh, this week's secret passphrase, which is chode rocket. Chode rocket, chode <laughs> rocket, chode rocket's the best. Chode rocket's in flight. 
afternoon delight. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, we have we have fallen. <laughs> I think I think we've lost it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, so I'm I think I'm totally off the thread. So I'm I'm done. Uh do you have anything to share before we call this one? No. Uh, uh tell your friends about this ridiculous podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you didn't enjoy it, tell your enemies. <laughs> awesome. Uh and until next week, this has been Campfire Classics where we try to read the books that look really good on your shelf. Chode Rocket Man burning off a dirt. <laughs> <laughs>